the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. 24-7 Sports' Steve Wiltfong, the GOAT, will be joining us a little bit later on so that we can set the table for you for National Signing Day. Also, we've found the replacement for Jeff Brom at Purdue, and you didn't have to go like that far. It's right there in your own division. So uh, much more on our grade of Ryan Walters at Purdue. Maybe some thoughts also on some of the other movement on the coaching carousel. North Texas has found its head coach. And again, a full National Signing Day preview with Steve Wiltfong coming up first. Uh, but we begin you know, with general thoughts and reaction and, and an opportunity to really celebrate uh, the impact that Mike Leach has had on college football as we here have spent our time at the Cover 3 podcast covering Mike Leach the, in the sport at multiple stops uh, throughout our entire professional careers. All three of us, he has been a mainstay of the sport. And it has always been fun diving through the history of the sport from before I was working in it and and finding little tidbits along the way and seeing the different ways that Mike Leach has been a part of the sports evolution. He died at the age of 61. Um, he has been celebrated uh, throughout, um, you know, whether it was on social media, whether it's from some of the comments that we've seen uh, from across the college football landscape. And when we discussed it on Monday, it was at a time when you know we didn't know with any certainty where this was headed, but we knew that things were not looking good. And one of the things that we discussed was the uh, tone of other coaches within the community. And I, I guess I wanted to begin with this discussion that as we're sitting here uh, on Wednesday, it, what has really been resonating with you as we've been you know, seeing this outpouring of, uh, of love, of support, and of, uh, of celebration of Mike Leach's impact on college football whether it was something that you thought going into it or whether it's something that you've realized along the way, uh, what really has stood out about this last 24 to 48 hours? How many people kind of have a Mike Leach story? I mean, it's it just goes to show the kind of person that he was. Because obviously he had 
an immense impact, not just on college football, but on the sport of football in general, because you see NFL teams now running a lot of the same principles that he brought to college football when he was, you know, just an assistant to FL Dosta State at Iowa Wesleyan and then at Kentucky as the offensive coordinator with Al Mummy. But it's who as much as that impacted on the field, it's what he's done off the field in that he's he's a personality. Mike Leach talks which is not something that a lot of college football coaches do. And I mean, college football coaches will have conversations with you off the record, but Mike Leach is never really afraid to say anything to anybody at any time. And he would say a lot of funny things. He would say some profound things. He would say things that, you know, pissed some people off. But the point was that Mike Leach was willing to speak and Mike Leach was willing to speak with anybody. And I think that's something that really the stories you get from others around him who knew him, There wasn't anybody that Mike Leach didn't have time to talk to or wasn't interested in talking to, and that's kind of the core of who he is. He was a very inquisitive mind who would rather know more about you than tell you about himself, and that's kind of what shines through to me through every single story I hear about the man. I totally agree with Tom on that. I I think if you look at Mike Leach, I mean, he he absolutely changed the sport of of college football. Um, You know, he prior to Leach coming on, it was thought like you needed to have an amazing quarterback to throw the football and Leach went to some of the hardest places to win at and consistently did. So I I don't know how many people know this, but I think we talked about this when Venables hired uh, Jeff Levy. It was reminiscent of a guy named Bob Stoops, who was the DC there at Florida and Spurrier had told him, Hey, for your offensive coordinator, because you're a DC and becoming a head coach for the first time, go pick the guy you hated to face. And so the offensive coordinator that he picked, was named Mike Leach, and they won the national title at Oklahoma in year two under Leach as as, as the OC. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm sad for Leach's family, man. Like, it just, that totally sucks to have, you know, to, I mean, sixty one is 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 young, um, but he absolutely changed the sport, and he also, I think, he showed that maybe coaches don't have to take it quite so seriously. Le- Leach got it done without the the whole. Like, hey, I need to work 120 hours a week type stuff that you hear. He's got grinding over every little little inch. I, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be that laid back, but uh, just his his brilliance, I think, was in the simplicity that which he kept things and and really being able to figure out on an efficiency basis what's important and what's not. Not everybody runs the offense that they run, but almost every every level of the sport has incorporated some of his concepts and also the drills that he used to refine the passing game within the limited time that you have in the college game to practice, everybody uses the leech drills. Like they're routes on air. For those yeah. who like want to go and mm-hmm. look it up, like a routes on air, the idea that you've got a multiple quarterbacks throwing all at the same time, being able to rep these uh, routes with multiple wide receivers and and really creating a lot of the basis of the throw it to where they ain't, you know, that is at the very core of the principles of the air raid. It's it. I mean, Bud, you mentioned this is this is really tough. I, the his family is grieving. The Mississippi State community is grieving. Um, it was less than three weeks ago. He just won the Egg Bowl. You know, like this is still very, uh, very like close and very recent. Um, the things we know, like just to be like, at the at the risk of seeming calloused, you know, right now Mississippi State's players have told the athletic director they still want to play in the bowl game. And I believe that'll be a very emotional experience uh, in, and they'll be playing it in Tampa in a stadium that has a pirate ship. Good gravy. 
that is uh that's that's pretty awesome uh pretty awesome if you ask me uh, so mississippi state you know under the direction of defensive coordinator zach arnett uh will be doing that so i i thought a lot about why so many coaches have been just like very expressive about you know their feelings about mike leach and I thought about how much time these guys spend with each other in film rooms, how much time these guys spend away from the cameras. And while Mike Leach, as you mentioned, you know, was someone who, as the sports popularity exploded and coaches became more sanitized, he is a true throwback to when college football coaches were some of the most colorful people in the community with, with a lot of um, you know, rough edges and a lot of you know, lack of real concern about any kind of PR blowback. And yeah, I like the fact that, you know, Mike Leach, who loved himself some history, you know, off the field as well, that he was a connection to college football's history. But I also just th- thought about the the kindness and, you know, what he showed to other coaches. And that's that's something that I often remember that, you know, these guys spend so much time with each other away from us that we never get to see that when You've got this kind of outpouring of support. Clearly, he was willing to share ideas. Clearly, he was not somebody who was going to be overly paranoid. I mean, he he himself had had boiled this thing down to a simplistic uh, a simplistic approach. He he was asked by a reporter, he was like, "Is it true or not that your system only has eight plays?" He said, "That's ridiculous," and got all huffy. And then he was like, "It's more like 10. <laughs> <laughs> somebody shared that story and then they showed the uh, clip of Jimbo with all the papers. <laughs> it's like, what, do you mean like 10 notebooks? No, like 10 plays. Um, and just, you know, he, he was uh, clearly somebody who was willing to, to share a lot of this and really enjoyed getting into it. You know, the, the fact that his coaching tree is like, has the USC head coach has the TCU head coach. Uh, West Virginia head coach, Louisiana Tech head coach. I mean, it is it is incredibly impressive the impact is, that he had. And you're right, it is football at all levels because uh, Chris Brown, smart football, you know, excellent author. He he went on a long thread. Uh, I would you know, definitely go check it out. But he mentioned in there that Kentucky, the state of Kentucky high school football, was not running anything but your like old school mm-hmm. smash mouth veer stuff until he and Hal Mummy showed that you could do it at Kentucky. When he landed at Texas Tech, they were not doing the air raid in the Texas high school football level. And you look at it now, and that's basically the core mm-hmm. of everything that's happening at the high school level. You mentioned NFL has uh, cribbed principles from this. It, whether it's X's and O's, whether it's you know his relationships with coaches, whether it's the impact that he's had on these universities, and certainly – on college football's popularity as one of the most um, notable figures, it was uh, it's a it's a massive loss for one of the sports pioneers for sure. So can can we talk about how the College Football Hall of Fame needs to put Mike Leach in? I, I know they have this ridiculous qualification that you need to have won sixty percent of your games, but let, let's just focus on a couple things here. Leach is unquestionably the best coach in Texas Tech history. He is actually, if you look at the records one of the best coaches in Mississippi State history, despite the fact that he was only there for three years, okay? He also is one of the best coaches in Washington State history. He elevated Kentucky at a time when Kentucky had not been relevant in college football for a long, long time. He changed the sport. If you are trying to tell the story 
of the last 25 years, the last quarter century of college football, and if you're the College Football Hall of Fame, that's part of what your mission is, I think. You are not able to accurately tell the story of college football if you don't have Mike Leach in the Hall of Fame. This qualification, you need to have won 60% of your games, is silly, and it biases the process to only the coaches who coach at the most resource-rich programs. They already kind of screwed Howard Schnellenberger with this. Mm-hmm. They need to put Mike Leach in. Did Did you mention, I'm sorry, Like, did you mention his record there? Because you know he's, he's three games short. Yep. Three. Yeah. He is three. Uh, daggum, round it up. All right, let's 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 just round that thing on up. It's sixty percent, but I I think that I would. How about this? National Football Foundation. Your job is to tell the history of college football to enshrine it forever, so that when the aliens come down and everything is wrecked, there's a place where they can understand what college football is. By the way, Mike Leach has said on the record that he does believe in aliens, but he does not think they yes. are necessarily tiny green men. Why? I mean, God created this earth. Why not other universes as well, says Mike Leach. So he does not believe in Bigfoot, though, at least not on Earth. Well, where's Bigfoot at then? What? Like, is Bigfoot on Jupiter? Well, he was, the point was that we found dinosaur bones, but we haven't found Bigfoot bones. Maybe Bigfoot's immortal. If only Mike were still here, we can have this conversation. He, can, he would be more than the curiosity that he is willing to uh, dive into would definitely be worth that. But we should be telling the story of college football with Mike Leach as an important part of it, without a doubt. Don't don't be dumb like the Baseball Hall of Fame. Just put him in. Tell the story of your sport. He's a huge part of the story. Don't be the Baseball Hall of Fame. Don't. Put him in. Come on. Um, all right. One more thing before we hit the break and welcome in Steve Wiltfong so we can start to set the table for National Signing Day. We were, you know, discussing the Purdue job on Monday and we were talking about Tyson Helton and, and Western Kentucky and why all the reasons that made sense, including the fact that it continues a, a string of hires by the Purdue football program that goes back 40 years of hiring offensive coaches. So what happens on Tuesday? They introduce a defensive coordinator <laughs> as the next head football coach. But this is not just any defensive coordinator because Ryan Walters, defensive coordinator at Illinois, has been a rising star in this industry. The former Colorado safety is 36 years old. That He has very quickly moved up in the ranks to the point where I think that he was respected for, yes, his understanding and development of a defense, but also for his recruiting, also for uh, the way he's able to communicate with these players and for his energy, his enthusiasm, all things that were mentioned, by the way, by Purdue Athletic Director Mike Babinski. Great job by him but for keeping this all buttoned up. Um, Tom, as our preeminent Illinois expert, I know you're sad to see your your beloved Ryan Walters go, but especially to a Big Ten West foe. But uh, what what do you make of the hire? Yeah, I, Ryan, I'd have preferred you went to like Colorado or somewhere outside the Big Ten. Although I'm I'm thrilled Ryan Walters got the job because he deserves it. I've been talking about him on this show for a few years. I was saying he was going to be head coach sooner rather than later, and now here we are. And yeah, it was surprising to me because, like you said. Purdue's history has always been hiring offensive-minded head coaches. I did not think they would be going the defensive coordinator route, although I think Walters was a good choice for them. And it's also ironic in that if you look at Illinois' performances on defense this year, as far as yards per play allowed, Purdue was their worst game. So <laughs> they saw they saw the Illinois defense at their worst, and they still said, you know what, that's the guy we want. And it is a very good hire. I think that Ryan Walters is 
an excellent coach, first and foremost. I think he's a very good recruiter, and I think that he's going to go in there and he's going to they're going to win games. Defensively, they're going to be a lot better than they have been. And Ryan Walters is not the kind of coach that I think is afraid of an offense. I think that you can expect maybe you're not going to see like an old school kind of ground and pound kind of thing that you should be scared of with defensive coordinators when they take over. I think he understands. I mean, the offense that he was coaching with at Illinois is not an old school ground and pound that many people assume it is because Brett Bielema was in charge. It's mostly an RPO offense and a spread offense. I think you're going to see the same similar kind of stuff at Purdue that you've already been seeing. I think you're going to get some energetic recruiting. I think you're going to see improved defense Get used to seeing your secondary players taking huge leaps forward and start getting thrown into mock drafts really quickly because that's exactly what happened at Illinois because he took over a – like he was the safeties coach along with the defensive coordinator. He took over a group of uh, defensive backs, him and Aaron Henry, who were not exactly highly recruited, highly rated, hyped up guys and got Kirby Joseph to the NFL in one season after moving him to free safety. He's going to have three draft picks from his secondary this year. All of them are extremely well coached. All of them know exactly what they're doing in that defense. And that's really the kind of key of the defense. Illinois, if you look at their roster, does not have the four- and five-star defenders that the best defenses like Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama have. Illinois performed to a higher level than those defenses in a lot of opponent adjusted metrics. It's not just who they played because they were so well coached and because the scheme was that effective. So I don't know how quickly it'll take. I mean, with the transfer portal, you know, things speed up a little bit and Purdue's defense was pretty good this year, but I would expect it to take an even larger step forward next season. I think it's a very good hire for the Boilermakers. I'm thrilled for Ryan Walters. And I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where Illinois goes from here. Yeah. I, I agree with Tom on that. Um, you know, I I'm slightly a little bit less impressed with Illinois' defense relative to some of the some of the international powers he, he mentioned, but I, like it, it is clear that Ryan Walters did a good job there. And importantly, here to his point, we knew that Illinois had some guy on guys on their roster who had athleticism, but really not refined skill. And I thought Walters did a nice job to develop that DB room. They were able to play a high risk style and really were not burned all that often. I also liked what he did at Missouri. I, I know two years ago I wrote like these are, are the 20 names that you need to know who could become head coaches in the future. And I was surprised uh, w- when Missouri parted ways with him. I thought that was a savvy hire for, I bet, you know, by Brett Bielema to go and take him uh, and, and you know put him on the staff. And I thought he did a nice job. Certainly Brett was uh, was rewarded for that. Uh, I will note, I'm curious to see who he hires as his offensive coordinator. I imagine he'll have a pretty nice salary pool because Purdue's in the Big Ten. And yeah, mm-hmm. they're just... You know, they're, they're printing money at this point. Um, their non-conference schedule next year to start is favorable and notable. Uh, so they have Fresno, then they're at Vatech, and then they host Syracuse. Right now, I think they would be favored in all three of those games, especially because Jake Hayner uh, is going to be out of eligibility. And that's important because you need to start hot, I think, for recruiting purposes. And after that, the schedule gets difficult. So you go Wisconsin, Illinois, at Iowa, they are the Big Ten West team that gets both Ohio State and Michigan uh, in, in in next year. So good luck with that. Uh, Ohio State comes to uh, to West Lafayette at Nebraska, at Michigan, Minnesota at home, and they close at Northwestern. Um, but I, I think their odds to make a bowl actually are going to be decent, and that would be a, a step down from what they did this year. Uh, but it is always difficult when you have both Michigan and Ohio State on the schedule. I think he's a good recruiter, and I'm, I'm curious to see who he will sign for that staff. 
also just as a general comment on the Purdue job, this is a job that I think you uh, you would downgrade some once the Big Ten does away with divisions because the the East is just that much tougher in terms of the the quality of program you have to face at the top. So uh, Walters will need to start hot to get that recruiting going once divisions go away. Also, if if the Big Ten does keep divisions, Purdue's probably getting bumped to the East. So I will say that the Purdue job at this moment, you could argue, is as good as it's been in a very long time. Because as I was going through and putting together some uh, <clears throat> some stuff for the Ryan Walter story on CBSSports.com, I realized that this is the first time that Purdue has had back-to-back winning seasons since Joe Tiller. Mm-hmm. And that the 17 wins in the last two seasons is legitimately a high watermark for the 21st century of Purdue football. The roster that yeah. he is inheriting has a winning culture, for whatever that means, or at least the habit of winning more often than losing in a way that Purdue football has not had. That is a credit to Jeff Brom, yes, but also if I'm Ryan Walters, makes the Purdue job more attractive than just considering it a nice paycheck because it's a Big Ten job because you realize that, yeah, trying to get back to the Big Ten championship, those expectations might be unrealistic, but at least the locker room that you're inheriting hasn't won only nine games across four years like the one that Jeff Brom took over. Much, much better job than it was, and I think that that's going to be a good launching point for a very young head coach in his first gig as a head coach. All right. I see him in the waiting room. The GOAT. The guru. We are one week away from National Signing Day, the beginning of the early signing period. So we got to set the table for it. And no one, no one in the country better to do that than Mr. Steve Wiltfong of 24-7 Sports. We'll get into National Signing Day storylines one week out and more next Back here on the Cover 3 podcast and very excited to welcome in the 24-7 Sports Director of Recruiting. You can catch him all over the place and especially with the wall-to-wall coverage that 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports HQ are going to have for you on National Signing Day one week from today. He's got a spatula ready for flip, flip watch. He's at the grill and he's got all the insight that you could want, even with some some news in the last hour or so at the quarterback position. Mr. Steve Wiltfong, uh, great to have you back here on the Cover 3 podcast. How are you doing at this hectic time of year? Chip, bud, doing well. Chip, I'm a little under the weather, so your intro for me is giving me a boost to the uh, to, to the mindset here, brother. Yeah, man. I, I mean, listen, I get excited when you're on because all I do is learn and all I do is get fired up about the wild experience that you have trying to track this um, every single day of the year. So as we do look ahead to Wednesday, uh, I guess I wanted to begin with sort of your your analysis of um, this quarterback class because We've known for a while now that pen to paper is going to happen for Arch Manning to Texas. And, you know, there are some other quarterbacks that have all been uh, linked up to their likely destinations. How do you look at this quarterback class sort of at the top end or top to bottom? How deep is it? What is the real ceiling for this 2023 quarterback class? Well, I think I see several guys that I think will become the faces of college football in two, three years down the road. Obviously, you talked about 
Arch Manning. And I think that one of the things that people sleep on with Arch Manning, in addition to his ability to throw the football off platform throws, is really just his ability to see the field well and know where to go with the football and uh, high football IQ and, and a guy that I think that's going to be able to come in the Texas into in the perfect situation and, and uh, play behind Quinn Ewers and then see what happens. But look, I'll tell you this. I remember being at a quarterback collective event a few years ago and Caleb Williams was there working out. And after it, it was over, he pulled one of the counselors aside and said, Hey, I want to get some extra work in, uh, you know, to get ready for Oklahoma to go in there and compete and try and win a job. And I remember sitting there thinking, win the job. I mean, hell, you got Spencer Rattler there. He's the Heisman Trophy candidate. That's his job till till you till till he moves on to the NFL. But that's certainly not how it played out. Caleb Williams came in there, won the job, wins the Heisman Trophy this past year. So you never know with these guys, and and uh, you think you have an idea of what these quarterback rooms look like, and then these talented guys get in there and they shake things up. You know, Malachi Nelson's uh, going to be the quarterback in waiting for Lincoln Riley in USC. He was the guy that he identified very early in, in the class. Uh, and committed to him at Oklahoma, going to follow him over to, to USC now and, and play closer to home. And any quarterback that Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day sign, for that matter, you feel like if they ultimately become the starter, they're going to be a first-round draft pick. And for Lincoln Riley, probably win the Heisman Trophy. My favorite quarterback in this class, guys, is Jackson Arnold. I think mm -hmm. he's played in the most big games on the high school level against the best competition, against the best coaching. I think as a junior, they took Austin Westlake – all the way to the fourth quarter. I thought Austin Westlake was the best high school football team in the country for a couple years, and they gave them hell in that game. I, I think that for Oklahoma to be able to lose Malachi Nelson, but then Brent Venables and company to get a guy like Jackson Arnold, who was just kind of there uh, uh, um, closer to home because, you know, Texas was all in on Arch. They didn't, they didn't recruit. Jackson Arnold. So that'll be an interesting dynamic, right? Uh, Texas passes on the best quarterback in state to go out of state to get Arch Manning. Well, their rival gobbles up the best quarterback in the state of Texas, the number one player in the Lone Star State. That's going to be a little interesting uh, to watch as, uh, down the road, in my opinion. I'm excited about that. And then Dante Moore, he's a high school football legend in Detroit now. He'll be on Mount Rushmore for uh, football players to come out of Motown. He's a two-time state champ. He played in the state title game as a freshman, four-year starter. He's headed to Oregon. Now, there's some schools that are, are trying to change that late in the process, particularly UCLA, but still here and he more than likely ends up signing with Oregon as they push for a top 10 class with Dan Lanning and company. And I just think he's wired right. Uh, uh, certainly a guy that can make all the throws. And then, you know, maybe the most talented guy in the class is Nico Iamaleva, who's committed to Tennessee. Um, uh, obviously, that made a lot of headlines when he jumped in the boat early for the balls. You know, he's a guy that has an electric arm. He's got an electric personality. And so he'll be an exciting player for the Vols down the road. And then I think the last guy to mention, I, I could go on and on, you know, uh, maybe I'll mention two more guys, but Jaden Rashada kind of reminds me of Dwayne Haskins, natural thrower of the football, uh, recently minted as a five-star. He's headed to Florida. And then Avery Johnson, man, he's going to Kansas State. Kansas State, they, they win the Big 12 championship this year. Avery Johnson's one of those true Three sport athletes uh, roll out of bed good at everything he does. Fantastic high school football player, dual threat. 
that also will dunk on you in basketball. He'll hit over 400 in baseball. Uh, he's got uh, he's got an alpha personality, and I'm excited to see what he does at Kansas State. Steve, I, I look. Oh, sorry. I mean, I was just, just going to say our, our former colleague uh, Barton Simmons. Not, nothing <laughs> you can get this motor going than hearing about a multi-sport athlete and hearing about the, being able to have uh, a guy that could g- get it, get it on the court, get it on the baseball diamond. Uh, I know, I know that always. That was one thing he always tipped me off to early in our relationship. That's uh, yeah. that's always. Quarterbacks are so specialized that it's hard to find some of these guys that do other stuff. But you know, Avery Johnson, and then this kid that just committed to Ohio State, Lincoln Kineholz. Great, terrific basketball player, outstanding baseball player as well. Was committed to Washington. Now rolling with the Buckeyes. Those are those are guys that they're just competing every day. They wake up. It might not be in football, but there's something serious going on with some big games on their respective schedules that they have to prepare for. I like that. You know, uh, the, the team that that Kansas State actually beat in the Big Twelve title game was quarterbacked by a guy who was, I think, a four sport guy in high school, right? So, I mean. Um, and of course, now I'm going to forget his name live on air. That, that's that, that's great. TCU's quarterback, Max Duggan. Uh, yes, Max yeah, Duggan. Max Trophy Duggan. finalist. Like he played every sport in Iowa. Like he was not like like a hardcore seven on kid. And, and I think that's and it's his dad was his coach. Yeah, it's important to remember. Like some of these guys that play all these sports, you, you kind of got to postpone your your judgment on them a little bit because once they start to specialize in college, they they may take a little bit longer to develop. But the ability is certainly there, and, and it's kind of forecasted by their by their ability to play other sports at a high level, you know, uh, Steve, we always talked about, Hey, that first recruiting class for a new staff is so important. And then when the early signing period came, it really became the first full recruiting class that the class that you get a, a full year cycle to recruit. And that's just because obviously if you get hired three weeks, I know you know this, but maybe our chat doesn't like three weeks is not really enough time to put together a class. So I, I look up and down this thing, the schools in, in the power five that hired new head coaches last year, you know, Miami, Florida, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, LSU, Oregon, USC, they all seem to kind of be killing it here. Like this is, they they all seem to just really be crushing. Some inherited better situations than others as far as rosters and and, and things of that nature. But you still with the transfer portal now have time to change your fortunes quickly. If you look at Oregon, uh, they were really uh, deficient on the interior defensive line. They go into the portal and they land several guys that are key players for them this year that kept them alive in the Pac-12 title hunt all the way to the last week. They get Bo Nix in the portal. He's a game changer at quarterback. So some of these coaches, they have previous relationships with kids that pay off when they go to their new digs. And so that's why like the coaches that are going to have the instant success on the trail are the ones that are more than a ball coach. They're guys that embrace recruiting. They love uh, connecting with kids, their parents, their coaches, and 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 they can go back to those relationships. And uh, Bo Nix comes to Oregon to play for Kenny Dillingham and and uh, things of that nature. Um, even Duke, I think Duke's having one of their better recruiting classes in quite some time under Mike Elko. Uh, um, and so, all those programs, it's you know those programs that coaching carousel last year was exciting to follow, and then those guys came in, and there's something you can point to for all of them. Maybe some of them didn't have the record that they wanted to have on the field in year one, but they're recruiting at a high level and you feel like you can get confident about the trajectory of the program based on the talent being infused into it. And then you got a guy like Sonny Dykes who takes a football team all the way to the college football playoff in year one. And uh, there's a ton of excitement there in Fort Worth, but 
Um, you can close, you can get some foundational pieces over the last couple of weeks between recruiting and the portal. But as you guys know, you want to make sure you hit the corner office guy correctly first. You don't rush to hire a head coach to salvage recruiting. Um, it's still a scheme and development game. And uh, certainly you want great players, but the, but the, you got to get the right head coach first and, and then everything will take care of itself from there. Yeah, right now, if you're looking at the 24-7 sports team rankings, Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, first full class, currently sitting at number three. Uh, Barrio Cristobal, Miami, first full class, sitting at number six. LSU, Brian Kelly at seven. Uh, Oklahoma with uh, Brent Venables at eight. Billy Napier in Florida, currently at nine. And you mentioned uh, Dan Lanning working on a class right now at 12, USC at 14. A lot of class, a lot of coaches who are rounding out their final first season and are now working on their first full recruiting cycle uh, in a in a great spot, especially according to those team rankings. I wanted to ask about the Notre Dame class specifically because that was a group that, by my understanding, did get off to a hot start. Marcus Freeman and his staff, and, and maybe promoting internally is a part of that because he had established so many relationships down the line from his time as a defensive coordinator and recruiting for the Fighting Irish. They had some continuity on the staff as well. But when things looked a little bit rocky early in the season, you know, one of my questions beyond what was happening on the field was whether there would be the, an impact on the recruiting trail. It, by your estimation, how did Marcus Freeman and then this staff, other than maybe just winning a lot of games in the second half of the season, how did they hold this class together? And do you expect the Fighting Irish to be able to you know, close this thing out and, and finish right there in the top three, top four, top five of the rankings? Well, Notre Dame looking for their third straight top 10 class. I don't know if they'll finish in the top five when all said and done. But look, from Coach Freeman on down, they pour a lot of time into these kids and really get to know them well beyond uh, just the status quo of recruiting. I think that they put a little extra effort uh, from the head coach into personally getting to know these recruits. And that was one of the reasons why he was able to get the job and take over for Brian Kelly and company. And I think when you look at it just purely from a recruiting standpoint, Notre Dame, they recruited well under Brian Kelly. They were in the national championship hunt. They they developed well and they schemed well and and they were there at the end of the season a couple times uh, with an opportunity to play for all the marbles. If you look at it just purely from recruiting, what Marcus Freeman's been able to do that I think has been a little bit better than the previous regime is that they've significantly upgraded the way that they recruit the quarterback position. I think that the guy that they have committed in this class right now, top 247 quarterback Kenny Minchie, is, is as good a quarterback as they've signed in the last three or four or five cycles. Then they have C.J. Carr already committed in the 2024 class, who's another touted guy that Michigan, Georgia, and several others were pushing for. So I think that Notre Dame is setting up their quarterback room to be a lot more talented than what we've seen. Now, certainly Ian Book was a really good college football player that got drafted uh, but beyond beyond Ian Book, there, there there just hasn't been a guy that you could point to at Notre Dame and say, this is someone that can win 13 games, mm -hmm. which is really the goal, right? Like Drew Pine's a good college quarterback, but for Notre Dame, the standard is to win 13 games or 14 games. And so uh, 
I think that they're elevating the talent level in that room over this cycle and next cycle. In addition to continuing to recruit well across the front, I think Notre Dame's got a really good receiver class, guys that can be dynamic, guys that can stretch the field. They need more playmakers on yes. offense. I, I, I think that they've put together a, a really nice running back room with Jeremiah Love and Jaden Lamar. Jeremiah Love is one of the fastest players in the country. And they continue to add guys on defense that I think can be really good. And then obviously they're going to recruit the offensive line at a high level. They always do. So the big takeaway with Notre Dame, Chip and Bud, is that quarterback recruiting is on the uptick. Now we'll see what that looks like as you know they go, go to battle in the fall. Uh, but I, I like the trajectory of their quarterback room. They, they also could be in the portal as well for a quarterback, depending on if they can get the right fit they there. They should be. Create yeah. as much competition in that room as possible until you know you got uh, one of the best quarterbacks in college football under center. That's the expectation for Notre Dame, in my opinion. And it's been since Brady Quinn uh, that they've boasted one of the best quarterbacks in college football. I guess Jimmy – I mean, Jimmy Clausen had a good good final year. They couldn't play any defense that year. Um, but it's been a while – uh, since you've looked at Notre Dame and said, man, they got an All-American candidate under center. No doubt. And I, I know just some coaches that we had text, you know, texted with about having played Notre Dame. We were like, hey, what did you see in those teams that beat the Irish? And they said, look, like Stanford played played man-free on these guys all day. Marshall manned them up. That They were not scared of the Irish receiver. So it's great to see that Notre Dame bringing in a receiver class of the quality that they are this year. I, I want to stick in the Midwest here and, and ask you about another program that has made the college ball playoff back-to-back years now, and that's Michigan. So they had Jim Harbaugh flirting with the Vikings last year. We all kind of wondered last signing day, I, I think on signing day we weren't really sure if he was going to stay or not. I'm trying to remember the timeline here. but oh, He was interviewing on national signing day in right, February, okay. but the class, if y'all definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but the class was wrapped up. Like Michigan was not waiting on anybody or maybe only one or two guys uh, by the time the – the final signing day came around. He had wrapped up most of the work for the class in December, but the optics of a coach on national signing day going and interviewing for uh, an NFL job. Yeah. It, it definitely brought up about a lot of raised eyebrows from a lot of us. You know, I'm, I'm curious about this. Like they, they sit 19th right now in, in our, our, our team rankings. And yet I, I feel like that lags behind a little bit, just how damn good they've been on the field the last two years. Is, is that what in your mind is, is holding them back a little bit from being in that top 10, top five range? What, what do you see going on at Michigan? Well, first, what I would say is that last year you had Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, who by all intents and purposes was a good football coach for them. Other than the fact that he couldn't get a win against Ohio state struggled against Michigan state, but they had some 10, 11 win seasons played in some new year, six games. This is a guy that took a team to a super bowl, took another team to an NFC uh, championship game, made took Stanford off the doormat and turned them into uh, a really good program out there that won 12, 12 games one year, if I remember correctly, went to the Rose Bowl. And then he has a bad COVID year and you want him to take a pay cut. He's on the on the chopping block. This is a prideful man that damn near won the Heisman Trophy and damn near won an MVP award. Like he's, you know, you know so who knows what was going on behind the scenes. But uh, I think in that regard, like Jim Harbaugh deserved to stick it back to him a little bit. Like, look, guys, you always had a good football coach here. Sorry we didn't win some of the games you wanted to win. I'm upset about that too, but it's not like we're that far off, right? Um, I think that we've seen Michigan evolve into a national title contender from being a a 10-win team 
to being a team that can win it all with the when you look at the last couple cycles i think that they've really elevated the game changing playability that, at the receiver position they got guys that are home run hitters they put a lot of speed in that room michigan always had good o line play they always had good tight ends uh, but they are now dynamic in the receiver room michigan went since mike hart who's now the running backs coach. They did not have a running back drafted for a very long time, which just seems impossible with the style of play that Michigan had. They've really elevated the running back room. Chris Evans from Indianapolis got drafted. He didn't even play that much. He's making an impact for the Bengals. But now you look at their running back room, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards. They didn't have running backs like that for a long time. So they've recruited the running back position a lot better over the last couple cycles. Um, and then quarterback. Game managers, got to go on the portal, get another game manager. They did that a couple times. J.J. McCarthy can win you games. So they've elevated the way that they've recruited quarterbacks. So they go from – I I think that they've – over the last couple cycles, I think that they've recruited at a higher clip. And then you're seeing those guys be difference makers in helping Michigan get that extra win or two that they've been trying to find so long in Ohio and uh, beating Ohio state. Now they're in the college football playoff and I, they got a better chance of beating uh, Georgia. And it, you know, got to get through TC, but I think they got a better chance of beating Georgia this year than they did last year. You look at this recruiting class and I see the ranking and it's, it's number 21 in the composite right now. And I'm almost kind of scared about that because you know, this is player development. You, mm. I mean, they, they Michigan very, very rarely do they not have a great game plan. Like Harbaugh is a hell of a coach. He's got terrific coordinators right now. Sharon Moore, that's who I thought Purdue should have hired. He is one of the best recruiters in the country. He's one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. And then in his first year as the play caller at Michigan, no drop off whatsoever. In fact, I think they look better. So Um, he's a name to start hyping up around the cover three podcast because Sharon Moore is one of the best assistant coaches in college football. He can carry a Joe Moore award under his arm. He's an elite recruiter and he's a great guy. Um, that you look at this class right now, there's, you see the same thing you almost always see in a Michigan class, a lot of size, a lot of length. And when you turn on film guys that actually make plays on Fridays and you're not like, this is a projection. These guys are already good. They're in on some guys down the stretch. Then you flip it to 2024. Most importantly, J.J. McCarthy. I think they're going to land Jaden Davis, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the 2024 class. This quarterback room all of a sudden is looking like you got one of the best. You're going to run out one of the best in college football for years to come at the position. Those are the differences in Michigan going from 10 to 11 wins to 13 to 14. More speed at receiver, much better running backs than they've had for a decade plus, and a quarterback that can win you games and not just manage them. So as I count through the top 50, and my math may be wrong, I went to the University of North Carolina where classes are as real as Santa Claus, but I count nine uncommitted prospects in the top 50 of the 24-7 sports player rankings, the top 247 rankings. Who are some of the names that fans and just selfishly I'm interested in who are the names that like coaching staffs are a little bit antsy about either they are uncommitted and um, you know, different staffs are battling to win down the stretch or maybe right now on their profile, it says they are committed. We might have them on flip watch. Who are some of those top names that are going to potentially <coughs> create some real drama next Wednesday? 
Yeah, and you look at, I'm just looking at the composite rankings right now, 24-7 sports. Uh, you know, the top uncommitted player right now is Damon Wilson. He's playing for a state championship this weekend. Don't be surprised if you see Kirby Smart and guys milling around on the sideline for that as they play against, uh, they already have a player committed in the game, receiver Tyler Williams, who I know they love. Um they're battling Ohio State for Damon Wilson. You know, Ryan Day and company still working that one as well. The crystal ball says Ohio State. But the Peach very- Bowl semifinal recruiting showdown. Jordan and mm-hmm. Ohio State preparing. I'm sure there's other prospects too, but I love that they're preparing to play against each other to compete for a national championship while also battling for some of the top talent in the country uh, here for the national signing day too. Sure. It shows you what kind of games you could potentially play in when you, when you commit to either of those schools, George has been making a late move with Damon. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Obviously you got the number one linebacker in the country, Anthony Hill, Texas is trending on the crystal ball. That'd be another monster pickup for the Longhorns on it for a defense that I think has recruited some guys that are sec level. You know, they go into Alabama and Mississippi in the last cycle and beat out state use for coveted defensive linemen and front seven defenders. And I think that they got some really nice pieces in this class this year on defense, Texas looking for a second straight top, top five class uh, chip and bud. And, you know, they got the quarterback room figured out now, you know, we'll see how they can put it all together and and, uh, elevate the wins on Saturday. Big commitment coming up tomorrow. Five-star offensive tackle, Samson Okunlola. We've seen Florida and Miami have some real slobber knockers on the trail already. Miami beats out Florida for Cormani McLean. Florida flips Jaden Rashada for Miami. We got a couple more big ones here at the end between those two. You got Samson Okunlola committing tomorrow. Visited Florida twice in the last month. Mario Cristobal and company were in there yesterday trying to close the deal. And then you got top 247 running back Mark Fletcher, who at one point was committed to Ohio State. Florida's trending out of a, a, a visit to Florida this past weekend. But for how long do they trend? Miami, they're doing all they can to land Mark Fletcher. Maybe he doesn't sign in February. Maybe he just surprisingly signs an LOI here next Wednesday. And next thing you know, he's in, in the boat for one of those schools. So, um, you know, there's there's some guys that are, are leaving the door cracked for other schools. Caleb Downs has Ohio State in this week. A longtime commit to Alabama. He's the best high school football player in the country. He's an instant starter at Alabama or Ohio State, in my opinion, at safety. David DJ Hicks is a long time. Uh, well, he committed to Texas A&M this fall. Dan Lanning in Oregon go in there uh, yesterday. Yeah, Jimbo's in there today. Venables tomorrow. So he's got the door open for a couple schools. But he's been to Oregon four times, including twice in the last month and once last weekend. So it's obvious he likes Oregon. Does he like him enough to flip? So there's all kinds of stuff going on, man. The 24-7 sports is the place to keep refreshing uh, for your favorite team pages. You know, and uh, uh, it's just an exciting time on the trail. Wisconsin's heating up under Luke Fickle. I'm kind of disappointed. I was on late kick yesterday with Pate, and he asked me uh, college coaching staffs that I think do a great job recruiting that don't get enough credit. And I just kind of looked at this year's rankings, and and we talked about Texas Tech having a good year and, and some others. But, I mean, Luke Fickle, he's as good as it comes at identifying prospects that have high upsides that fit a culture and fit a scheme. And that's a collective effort with his staff. But the way Cincinnati was able to sustain for so many years to lose Desmond Ritter, to lose nine draft picks and then still be in the hunt for your conference championship with injuries at the quarterback position at the end of the year 
shows you the sustainability that Cincinnati had under him. And uh, they had some big recruiting wins this week. So you get them in there at Wisconsin, their program that they have not been playing at the level we're used to. Mm -hmm. uh, they're getting rid of the stone tablet offense and bringing in Phil Longo. Phil Longo. I was about to say, what does yeah. that mean but for the recruiting he, trail? Like, do you go out there now to wide receivers? Do you go out there to quarterbacks? Like, are you able to take a, like, hey, look, look what the North Carolina offense has been under Phil Longo, and this is what the future could be. You think that you think that's part of the uh, the calculus there, at least on the offensive side of the ball for that Wisconsin staff? Well, certainly, and he had a great play caller and. OC at Cincinnati and Gino Godalgi, who I thought was terrific as well, but Fickle could point to his own. Hey, Desmond Ritter, Alec Pierce, like, you know, they know when they go into the portal and get guys like the running back from Alabama, those guys are good players for them. Like he just has a great understanding Fickle does uh, and of just who they need to target and why. And and then again, scheme and development. Sometimes these schools mess up our recruiting rankings because they don't develop the guys right. I promise we don't overrank anybody. It's always the schools. <laughs> I'm just kidding there, but there is some truth to that as well. No doubt, Steve. We I know we talked about it a lot, and, and you know, high school coaches are, are on Twitter complaining as as they should. They they vouch for their guys. You know, the, the portal seems to be taking spots from from the lower end kids, right? A lot, a lot of times that maybe that kid 16 to 25 in a recruiting class is now having to go more of a group of five program or in some cases down to FCS. Are are we seeing any, any uh, I guess we could call it portal creep into impacting some of the top kids or what, what, what are you seeing there as far as the portals impact on, on the better players? I mean, I think to your point there, if I heard you correctly, the teams that are in the national title hunt and teams that recruit well year in and year out with those well-known logos, for the most part, they're trying to build their program up with the foundation of high school prospects and then go into the portal to fill a need, whether it's because you had a couple running backs leave early for the NFL draft or you had a couple receivers go down with career-ending injuries or O-linemen. You need to go into the portal to uh, or you did have a bad evaluation or so you need to supplement your roster real quick as you as your young guys aren't ready um but new coaching hires and programs trying to rebuild quickly that with coaches that are maybe on the hot seat they're portal heavy now man they're trying to they're trying to catch fire in a bottle real quick and so um i think the portal is impacting that as those schools would have traditionally still had to take high school kids. Um, I think that, uh, um, I, I, I don't think the portal is like ruining high school football recruiting. I've seen people say that like you still, but it is altering it, um, a little bit to your point. Like there are a couple less spots maybe at some places because they're going portal hunting, but, Again, you look at the size of the classes for the national title contenders, and they're all big, big boats, and they're looking to add a couple more blue chippers to the fold. To 25, point, 23, Georgia took 26. zero last year. Who did? Uh, Georgia took zero portal kids last year, to your right. point. Yeah. And that's for exciting sure. for them to like now go out on the trail and say, look, we're first and foremost developing in-house. That doesn't mean they're not ever going to not go to the portal, but – yeah, look, they're 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 not going to the portal unless they have to. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, right now, he just mentioned it. Alabama twenty five, Georgia twenty three, Notre Dame twenty six, uh, Miami twenty three, Ohio State twenty. 
uh, a lot of these classes just still on the regular pace for what we would expect in a given year. Um, USC, which, you know, by the way, we're, we're just, are we going to consider, how about this? Are we going to consider USC to just be like a, a portal team here for the near future? Cause I understand it for year one, because you're Lincoln Riley, you're incredibly attractive. You're going to be a place where people want to go. USC uh, is attractive in general, but to be a part of this wave is, is something else. And we did see, I believe it was either 15, 16 kids from the portal to USC in last year's cycle. USC right now at 19 commits, ranked number 14 in the country. They got three five-stars, seven four-stars, nine others along the way. Do you think, could, do you foresee USC maintaining that status as just kind of being a, a portal squad year in and year out? Whoever is the best available, uh, you're going to wind up at least getting a, a look from USC, from the portal? Well, USC, they go 11-2 and two this year they take over an operation that was pretty, that was a very soft, unorganized football team beforehand. They had some talent in the building, but they weren't very tough. So you have to come in there and quickly change the culture. I think that, I mean, they have 19 commits. They're definitely trying to build the foundation with high school kids. They have some franchise quarterback. They have the franchise quarterback. They have maybe the best receiver class in the country alongside Ohio state. (coughs) Excuse me, guys. But you, it's there's not a lot of difference maker players in the trenches out west. <coughs> so you got to go into the portal. USC still deficiently talented in some areas. So Lincoln Riley, he likes to go to the playoff every year. Mm-hmm. He's going to go into the portal. People want to come play for him. He's had all Americans at every position on offense. So you want to go into the portal? He, I mean. 11 and two is not even his standard. He wants to be in the final four competing for that. Yeah. I, I think it's also important to note that, that, you know, Clay Hilton and, and staff were recruiting sort of as a perceived lame duck staff for their last two classes. Like, I mean, there, there was how many, how many segments did any college ball show do on Clay Hilton hot seat for the prior or for the final two years of his tenure there. And that made recruiting, even though USC, you can say it recruits itself. You still have to go out and do it. Like that, that made the last two classes that they took, you know, smaller and maybe not quite up to their standards. So I think for at least this year as well, Riley has to fill in some of the misses that they had from those prior two classes, particularly from a depth standpoint, because they just, it's hard to recruit if everybody thinks you're getting fired. Right. I mean, that's just, that's tough. Um, Absolutely. But they also still lack toughness. Yes. No doubt. They would go play Notre Dame and get pushed around, you know? Yeah. No. And they, like this year, they still weren't good on defense, but they were notably tougher and they competed better, you know. And that was and they can that make was huge. plays. They can make a play behind the line of scrimmage to finally get the team behind the chains to have to punt, you know, no doubt. stuff like that. But um, yeah, they're until they get that roster into what is a championship level caliber roster, they have to go into the portal a little bit more than you know Georgia, Michigan. And, and some of the other contenders. Yeah, the title contenders that are fully developmental uh, at this point. Um, all right, if there's one staff slash school that you've got your eye on as potentially becoming the story of the day next Wednesday, or a couple. I mean, if you want to throw out a couple, that's cool too. I just <laughs> who, who should, 
who should we be keeping our eye on that might have some things bubbling where whether it's uh, keeping guys on board or a couple of flips. So where do you think we could see uh, some big jumps and, and some real trending upwards here in the late stages of the cycle? Sure. So I say this with like, I think Georgia, Damon Wilson, Jordan Hall, they got a good chance to add those to what is the nation's number two recruiting class. Maybe they flipped Kyron Jones from NC state. Those would all be exciting pickups, but they've done a lot of their heavy lifting this cycle. Alabama's got the number one class in the country, but man, they're in on a lot of dudes down the stretch here. Still guys that are going to announce on the 21st, including guys like James Smith and, and, and Quay Russo. Caden Proctor's an offensive tackle that's a longtime commit to Iowa, but he's still looking at Alabama and Oregon late. Oregon's still in it for David Hicks. Their hat on the table for Peyton Bowen, who's committed to Notre Dame. Like, Oregon is in on a lot of elite guys here down the stretch. Now, will they land any of them? I don't know, but I'm just saying, like, Oregon is a fun team to follow here late in the process with the amount of people that they're in on. Certainly, these Florida-Miami battles here at the end that we talked about at the top of the segment are fun and exciting. And I feel like both those teams have their infrastructure in place to make these make these recruitments very exciting and unpredictable to a certain extent here at, at the end. Um, and and uh, um, I think – you know, Texas trying to finish in the top five. LSU uh, is in on some some big time guys late. So those are, you know, usual suspects. Um, Colorado Colorado is going to have something up their sleeve, I would yeah. imagine. Uh, big recruiting weekend this weekend for them. Um, they'll they'll certainly have some some storylines uh, over the next week as well. So keep an eye on the buffs. All right, it may be usual suspects, but it's still endlessly fascinating given the way that these head coaches, uh, their relationship with each other. So last year, Texas A&M gets the highest rated recruiting class in the history of recruiting services. Currently, Alabama's class, 25 commits. The uh, class points are at 314.22. Has anybody run the class calculator to see if Alabama can surpass Texas A&M. I don't think or, they can. I, okay, I, all right. I mean, maybe – I don't know if I've done it and included Caden Proctor on there with some of the guys that they're in on. Um, but it would I, be hilarious to watch Alabama one year after Texas A&M shatters that record – to come right back and take it back. It would be very, uh, very fitting of the way that the last like 18 months have been between uh, Saban and Jimbo. That would be amazing. Uh, th the one thing to note here on that is that now you don't have the 25 man incoming rule because like you just have to get your roster <laughs> down to the 85. So you will see some of these new staffs be able to take a class of like 40. Like we, we, we had heard that Auburn is probably going to bring in 35 to 40 new players between high school and the portal. Given Colorado's outbound transfer numbers, I think you'll see them take an enormous number of players as well. So uh, mm -hmm. part of that is going to be volume as well, I think, right? Just how many kids can you actually sign in a given class? Well, yeah. And didn't Alabama slap uh, UPS stickers on like half the wide receiver room? Send, the, send them on? Yeah, out. they're down to, I think, I, was, I thought they had like five or six scholarship receivers left. They're, they're going to be in the portal again for receivers this year for sure. Yeah. Um. Steve, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this. No, no need to hit, the, hit that Tamiflu or, or rest up. you got a long day yeah, of talking on Wednesday. Man, I'm, I'm a lot of video of me doing this. No doubt. Um, all right, NIL. We hear about it all the time. You know, what, what's real, what's not. There, so For so long in recruiting, it's been, hey, proximity to home, playing time, NFL development, relationships, right? And 
we're not idiots. We know there was always some, some under the table stuff going on. Now it's more out in the open. For for how many kids is NIL the most important factor? So I think that it, it's certainly a layer for everybody. Now, the way they view it is different, you know, because there are some that and I, there's some college players that are making a good amount of money that college coaches can point to when they're recruiting a kid and saying, this is what our quarterback room's making. This is what our running back room's making. If you're the starter at this position or this is your kind of potential fiscally uh, with our program and the weight it has. Um, and that's exciting to some kids for, you know, that also view that as a place that has a proven track record of developing players and getting them to the NFL which is the ultimate payday, right? Um, but there are some that want it on the front end. There's some that where NIL front end is important. Um, and uh, there are programs that are positioning themselves to be the resource for that more so than others. So there's different NIL strategies with these programs. and uh, But I think for kids, they're all fascinated by it, want to hear what they're potential earnings could be in college if they're not even if they're not looking front end payday. Um, I think they're all fascinated by it and parents and, and coaches to some degree as well. Awesome. Always interesting, always good to uh, see this incredibly involving landscape. And Steve Wiltfong has been there guiding guiding my hand and guiding many of us through this wild recruiting process. You can follow him on Twitter at SWiltFong247 and the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, CBS Sports HQ. It's going to be wall-to-wall coverage all for the next week, and Steve will be our preeminent expert on the issue. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tomorrow, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Bowl Mania Breakdowns. That's right. We got storylines, narratives, and, of course, our best bets. We're going to do it for every single bowl game, every single one of them. We're going to have picks for you, and it starts on Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So make sure you hang out for the Bowl Mania Breakdowns. Gentlemen, thank you very much. See you all.